1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. And if the grass withers and the flowers fade, it is God's eternal word that endures forever. May he bless it to each one. I know whenever it comes to dealing with sexual immorality, it can seem in some people's ears a little harsh and a little challenging. But this passage meets us and deals with that very issue uh, concerning the church. And it is set under this whole banner of God's will for you, your sanctification. And it is also purposed, as you see from verse 7, at the calling upon our lives. God has called you in holiness. And sanctification is that progress and that process of holiness being worked out in our lives. And one of the things that we are confronted with and we need to deal with is this whole issue of sexual immorality and how it relates to our holiness in Christ before this world. We know that as Christians, all of us are called to exhibit a holiness before this world that reflects the holiness of God. God has made that very clear. We sang a hymn at the very beginning. We know it's the one attribute of God that is three times declared in both the Old and the New Testament. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. But it doesn't stop there. We here in the formation of Israel and as they are called of God to walk before him and be blameless in Leviticus 19 and 20, the framing of those two chapters of a, of a, of a book that deals with how we can be holy people in the world. We hear that command, be holy for the Lord your God is holy. Be holy. For the Lord your God is holy. Chapter 19, chapter 20. We hear it in the Psalms. We hear it in Isaiah. We hear it in 1 Peter. We hear God constantly coming back. You are a holy people. Be holy. There's the imperative. Be a people who reflect the holiness of God. And one of the key 
focuses of this throughout all of Scripture is dealing with this matter of what I will call sexual purity. And it's not just in what we do with our bodies. It, it begins with our mind. The Lord Jesus brought that to the attention of the Pharisees who prayed they kept the seventh commandment. And in Matthew 5, he, he said to them, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that even if you think upon it, there's a sexual purity of the mind that we are to lay hold of that speaks and addresses this calling to holiness that God has set upon us. There's a sexual purity of speech. Paul would write in Ephesians 5, do not let coarse and, and ignorant or foolish speech Proceed from your mouths. And he's talking again in that command of maintaining a purity in our words that deals with this whole matter, this whole realm of sexuality. And of course, as we see it here and as we see in many of Paul's letters, it, it does come and meet us in the body. But why, why we're dealing with the body now after I've mentioned mind and speech is so that you understand that, that sexual immorality is not something that creeps up on uh, uh, sorry, that suddenly lays hold of us. It is something that creeps up when our mind is not guarded, when our speech becomes foul and, and our relationships then uh, become plagued. You know this thing about sexual purity. You read the history of Israel. You read the New Testament and you look to the history of the church and you look to the church today. Degeneracy into sexual immorality has long plagued Israel and the church. You see it in Genesis with Lot. Again, I'm not going into all the details, but why would he commit such acts? You see it in Numbers 25. That was referenced in our call to covenant renewal in 1 Corinthians 10, where sexual immorality entered into Israel as they gave themselves over to ungodly relationships. And in a day, God killed 24,000 people. Does that speak about God's displeasure towards sexual immorality within the confines of his church? Of course it does. He doesn't shake his head at it and say, I wish you would do better. It is something that grieves him and it brings forth his judgment in our lives and upon the church. You look at Solomon in 1 Kings 11. You look at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 5. Things that not even the Gentiles do uh, is found within the church. Isn't Isn't that sad and frightening? And so we hear these words in verse 7. God did not call us to uncleanness. Now keep that word in your mind. There's an uncleanness here. We haven't been called to that. Rather, we've been called out of it. God has called us in holiness. 
And what he is saying to you, dear church, is you as his people, you are to live a distinct, set-apart life from this world, consecrated to a purity of godliness for the glory of God. There is a purity we are called to maintain. And especially in the culture of our day, especially in the culture of our day, where sexual immorality is scarcely even considered a sin. I read yesterday, and again, I'm trying to keep this sensitive, but where they're trying to get pedophilia to be another branch of sexual preference. That's our world. And in this culture, we, we need to admit, first of all, that the temptations toward it are great. Otherwise, God would not, in so many places throughout his word, speak to it and to address it and to call us to guard against it. The temptations toward it are grace, are, are great. But even more, I think, is problematic is the complacency of the church toward it today is growing in prevalent, uh, in, in, in uh, presence and the acceptance of it in the church is increasing. It usually goes like this when a family, for example, in the church can at first agree with and say yes, homosexuality is sinful and wrong and then one of their children come out and identify as such and then that same family begins to say well you know God created them and, and so this is part of God's creative work in their lives and we need to love them and I'm not disagreeing that we need to love them but the acceptance of it comes in that measure, into people's lives, into Christians' lives, into the life of the church. And what we really need, and what Paul is addressing here in this young church, is a need of a spirit-empowered and a Christ-redeeming and a God-pleasing wisdom that guides and guards us as his people because we have been called in holiness. We have been called to be a distinct people from the world. You, you, you have this issue today where the church is fighting against the world for the rise of it that has become more evident within society and promoted in a grosser fashion within society. And I, I don't disagree that we need to call to account those in power, those in places of authority who are encouraging this. But that's the world. And, and we as God's people and we as his church, what are we called to? We're called to a holiness that stands set apart from that. And, and when we're warned about these things, it isn't so that we can look and say, thank God I'm not like the world. It's, it's a warning and a calling. Look to yourselves. Because the rise of such immorality in the church in the last 40 years has been gross. Has been very discomforting. 
to hear the statistics and to see the reality of many men in places of leadership falling, to see the rise of adultery and, and, and whatnot within the church, and to see that it's not being dealt with, casually swept aside in many circles. So this is about the church, about you, dear Christians, being holy. And owning that holiness in a time when it's very hard, very difficult. And that's why he says here, verse 3, the very first thing we see him saying here about sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Do you know, almost every one of Paul's letters confronts this sin. 1 Corinthians is filled with it. But you can go to Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and, and here Paul addresses it time and time again. Why? Is it because it's so prevalent or is it because of something else? Why is he bringing this to their attention? Well, he does this because he knows what their past life was all about. He understands what has been going on in the world and he is dealing with many places wherein the church has suddenly come and people have come to faith in Christ and now they need to learn they are holy. And one of the things in your holiness is to abstain from this very thing. What was so much a part of the Gentile culture to which they belonged had to be cast off. What was so much a part of their religious culture that surrounded them had to be taken away, put to death. They had to understand there is a purity that is to be guarded that the world has lost in the sense of human sexuality. And you can read in many places the extent of this sin is laid out in Romans 1, in Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. But, but I want to take you to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 first to see the extent of this sin of sexual immorality that we're called to abstain from. Or as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, to flee from even. Don't be toying with it. Don't be thinking. You can fight this in your own strength. Abstain. Flee from it. But you look, what does it involve? Verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. It's it's not just talking about adultery, it's talking about the full gamut of sexual immorality. Why do I say that? It's because many argue that Jesus never dealt with the issues of homosexuality. Well, in Jesus... When he says you shall not commit adultery and using that law, what he's saying is that within that law is a a, a command against all forms of sexual immorality. 
And why does Paul list it out? As uncomfortable as it is for us perhaps to hear that list, why does he list it out? Because every form of adultery was present in that Greco-Roman world and was especially prominent in these major cities where the temples of the pagan gods of the Greco-Roman world abounded. And for these new believers who were so accustomed to that culture of immorality, God comes now and insists on a purity of holiness that honors his will for them and honors his creative will and intent for intimacy. And this is where we're called. So how do you abstain? Well, you see in these verses, he he gives us at least three things to to focus on, to abstain from sexual immorality. And the first, I want to step down to verse 7 again, as I've already emphasized it, but I want to put this back really into your thoughts. First, look to God's calling on your life. When it comes to all those forms of sexual immorality, and, and, and you may be struggling with some measure of it. You may be fighting and trying to put it to death and thinking, well, it, it just doesn't seem to be working. And, and you know what happens in a Christian's life when, we, when we're struggling to put something to death in our life that shouldn't be part of it. And we time and time and time again come before God pleading for mercy, grace and help and strength. And then there comes that point where in the Christian heart we say, well, I guess this is just part of my life, and I'm going to have to live with it. We give up. God never tells you to give up putting to death sin. How do you do it? And I believe this this point in verse 7 is key to it. Look to God's calling on you. The holiness of God is set against the uncleanness of this world. Put it in that very... Uh, opposing sight in your mind's uncleanness. Like a child whom you have just given a bath to and they go out and play and they get themselves so filthy, dirty, it is hard as a parent to look and laugh and say, oh, that's okay. It's like, oh, I just gave you a bath. You have to bring them back in to clean them again. They don't understand. And the child sits there not understanding what all the fuss is about. It's because they don't distinguish that great between cleanliness and filth. God is saying you're holy. And what this world is offering is unclean. Set your mind on that. That word uncleanness, when it's, when it's relating to sexual immorality, is talking about that uninhibited physical, cultic, and moral impurity that the world enjoys. They don't care. But you've been called to holiness. You have one within you who has made you clean. And I want to impress this upon you. That without that inward cleansing work of Jesus Christ, there really is little hope for anyone to put such a sin to death. But you look to God's holiness. 
How have you been made holy? And and you know, you understand, Jesus has cleansed me from my sins. Jesus has paid the debt and the penalty for my sins. And I have been bathed in that atoning, cleansing fount of the blood of Jesus. You start thinking, what is it that took for God to be able to say to you, you are cleansed from your sin. This is where your mind should go. It took the death of his son on the cross. It took Christ going in my place to bear the the wickedness of my sins under the judgment of God for me to be washed clean. That's what it took for me to become holy. When you understand that, my friends, it has great implications. It begins to change your understanding of who you now are as God's people. I am holy. Listen to what the Lord says about this in 1 Corinthians 6. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 6. In 2 Corinthians 6, when he warns them about unequally yoked business with, with unbelievers... Preeminently, he's talking about marriage and relationships with unbelievers. But it's not just that. It's in all matters. Uniting ourselves to to ungodly, unholy relationships in business and and in other other areas of, of, of social life. Where we join in with the things that they do that are wrong. And you get down to verse 17 of chapter 6, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. He says, come out from among them and be separate. There's that word. God's calling on me means that I must live separate from the way that they want to live in the world around us. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I'm holy. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, see you're looking to God's calling and you hear the promises. He wants to be your father. He wants you to be his sons and daughters. He wants you to dwell with him. He wants to receive you. This is what God wants for you. You set your mind there. This is awesome. You know, how you use that word awesome for so many things of this world. But here is something that is out of this world that is really awesome. God wants to abide with me and wants me with him. And therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God holy. I need to live a clean life. I've not been called to uncleanness. And if that means separating yourself from unholy relationships, it begins there. So that you may pursue the holiness God calls you to. My friends, 
The gospel requires purity. There's absolutely no way you can reconcile any sexual immorality to Christian holiness. And those who try to, I'll use that phrase at the end of verse 5, they're showing that they do not know God. But you know God. You're holy. Put your mind there. Look to God's holiness. And and secondly, as you see in verses 4 to 5, you abstain by possessing your vessel. Possessing your vessel. Isn't that what he says there? Each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor and not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now there is some debate, and I'm only going to talk on this for about 20 seconds, that this word vessel means you should know how to obtain a wife. Uh, That's not what Paul is getting at here. It's a wrong understanding of this word vessel. What Paul is getting at here is the same thing in the matter of holiness. You need to know how to possess your vessel. He uses that word vessel in 2 Corinthians 4. And what does he talk about it there? He talks about it in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 to 7, where he talks of, of how the light of the glory of God has shone within us in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's talking about is that wondrous work of the gospel of Jesus Christ has become alive within my heart. And the glory of God is abiding in me as Christ has now come to dwell in my heart through his Holy Spirit. And then what's the very next line that he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about this body, your body. Possess your body in holiness. And this is very different from that 1990 moral purity movement that went on in the U.S. and across the world uh, amongst the youth culture, basically within the church, that just tried to get everyone to abstain from sexual relations until they got married. This is about understanding who you are in the flesh as one called in holiness in Jesus Christ. You've got a treasure within you. You have within you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You have within you a knowledge of a glory that God is bringing you unto where you will dwell with him forever in absolute purity of holiness. That's what you have. You have that in you now. And instead of giving your body over unto sinful conduct, you give your body over unto the glory of God. You possess it for that. What marks the grave immorality of our culture? You know, again, it's easy for us to look at the world and say, Paul is talking about what's going on all around us and saying, we've got a war against that. No, we've got a war against it coming into the church. What marks the grave immorality of our culture? 
what Paul very clearly tells us in, in Romans 1 verse 24. God has given them up to uncleanness. Why is there such a prevalence of sexual immorality in our day that's just flooding all corners of society in the Western world? It's because in the lusts of their hearts, they give themselves over to dishonoring their bodies amongst themselves because they have exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And they are worshiping themselves. They serve the creature, not the creator who is blessed forever. And because they have done this, God has given them over to this uncleanness. Again, it's that warning. Be careful if God gives you what your lustful heart desires. That's why the world behaves like it does. It does not, as Paul says here at the end of verse 5, it does not know God. It does not retain the knowledge of God in their thoughts. You possess your bodies. Know God, but know even more. The glory of God is now within you in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, you're looking again beyond yourself to God and who you are in Him. And in looking at that, understand you've not been given over to uncleanness. You do not give your bodies over to lustful passions that degrade and dishonor your body. That moment of pleasure outside of the will and the confines of God where it's held within the realm of marriage, where the marriage bed is undefiled. Outside of that, there is no honor before God. No matter how much pleasure you think you're enjoying. Possess your bodies. Possess your bodies in sanctification. Understand that you are in body and soul being redeemed from the corruption of sin. And this needs to be put to death. Recognize it as sin. See it for what it is. Be prayerful. Gain accountability with the struggle. But do as what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Pluck out the eye. Cut off the hand. Put it to death. Because God has not given you over to uncleanness. But in holiness he has called you. No, as, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6, most of you know these verses at the end, verses 19 and 20. Hold yourself in honor in this way. Know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have, been, uh, whom you have from God. Know that you are not your own. You were bought at a price. No, no, no these things. And here's the exercise when, when this temptation comes to meet you and you're striving to abstain. Take your mind to the things that you know of who you are in the Lord. God has done this for me. God has redeemed my body. My body is now a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. I know this. God has given me the Spirit for this. I'm no longer my own. I belong to God. He has purchased me with the blood of His Son. God is to be glorified in my body, in my spirit. I am God's. There's the exercise. 
of sanctification and honor. When you're going through that exercise, which you're showing the work of Christ in you, the glory of God rising up within you, the power of Christ who has conquered sin at work in you, possess your body. And it begins with your mind. And last, to abstain, you walk in the fear of the Lord. Verse 6. It's hidden in there that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. In other words, what he's saying there is, is set your mind on the fear of the Lord. This is a sin that affects your thoughts, It affects your speech. It affects your conduct toward others. And this is something that that most people think, oh, it's just me. It's It's not hurting anyone else, but it does. In fact, God is saying to the heart that believes that this is my own, Uh, body, I can do with it as I want, Uh, this isn't affecting anyone but me, then such a person is denying that we live in relation to God and to others. You can look, the fear of the Lord that he is ready to avenge any assault against those upon whom his redeeming love is set. I'll take you again to the Old Testament. God put to death 24 Israelites in one day. That's the assault of sexual immorality in our relationships. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the mind of the culture that would deny anything sinful or erroneous about the sexual conduct of people. Because God is the one who sets the parameters of truth and righteousness. And God, the Lord, stands ready to avenge. It's his glory that's at stake. And that's why Paul brings it there in verse 8. In part of this fear of the Lord. He who rejects this is not rejecting man. Paul is saying, if you say that's just Paul saying these things. And we have to listen to what Paul is saying. This is a guy... Uh, who has a lot to say on these matters, but we're letting God lead our lives. He says, no, if you, you reject this, you're rejecting God. Because this is God's will for you. God has given His Holy Spirit to work in your life the image of His holiness and His righteousness and His truth. And to deny this is to reject and despise God. Don't reject God. God's authority is at work here, not the wisdom of man. God has given you that gift of the Spirit for this purpose so that you should hear His will and His His word for you in this matter. God has called you to holiness. He has set His cleansing grace upon you in His Son within you. Be holy. Do not look to this world for guidance. Look to God's word for guidance and set your heart upon it. Be like Joseph 
When he found himself in that hour of temptation, he reckoned within his own heart, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's a heart. That's a heart that looked to God's calling. That's a heart that learned to possess his own vessel. That's a heart that walked in the fear of the Lord. He could say, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Let that heart be in you. Let the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ be your strength, wisdom. Know that God has called you in holiness. 